I remember about a year ago playing in the dirt after a rainstorm with Layla, and she was digging up worms. And little children help us with a message today, which is nature and the wonder of nature um, and how nature reveals God to us. We are at the end of this series on Jonah, and uh, Jonah is a fascinating story, uh, and we're going to lean into one of the most fascinating parts of the Jonah story, which is how it features some of the main characters, really, are a part of nature. So I want us to be listening as we kind of move through the story and jump around a little bit uh, on how the specific participation of nature is um, revealing who God is to us. So let's pray. Maker of heaven and earth, we pray that you will waken us in your word by the power of your Holy Spirit as we are joining together from many different locations, but all of us held and surrounded by the beauty of your creation, and we are a part of it. So Lord, speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Jonah 1 begins with God sending Jonah to Nineveh, enemy territory, to cry out against their wickedness, and Jonah decides that he does not want to go. And so as we look at verse 4, the first place where we see the Lord using nature in this story, the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and such a mighty storm came upon the sea that the ship threatened to break up. So the very vessel where Jonah is fleeing in the opposite direction. Uh, God stirs up a great storm, and the sailors on this ship wonder what the heck is going on and telling everybody to pray to their God. And as they cast lots, they realize that this is about Jonah, who's down in the uh, below in the ship, asleep, not praying at all. So they go to him and picking it up at verse 8. Then they said to him, Tell us why this calamity has come upon us. What is your occupation? What do you, where do you come from? What is your country, and of what people are you? I am a Hebrew, he replied. I worship the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were even more afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord, because he had told them so. So the sea gets more and more stormy and tempestuous, to use the word in the story, and they're not sure what to do, and Jonah finally recommends, you just need to throw me overboard, which they do. So picking it up at verse 15, so they picked Jonah up and threw him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. Then the men feared the Lord even more, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. But the Lord provided a large fish, to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. He's in the belly of the fish, and he prays from the belly of the fish. And so we look at the last verse in chapter 2, then the Lord spoke to the fish, and it spewed Jonah out upon the dry land. So he does his mission. He goes into Nineveh in chapter 3. He does proclaim and cries out against their wickedness, calling them to repent, and they actually do repent, including the animals, the creatures, which is stunning. But he's not happy. So we're going to pick it up. And this is verse 5 in chapter 4. 
Then Jonah went out of the city and sat down east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, waiting to see what would become of the city, hoping that it would be destroyed, by the way. The Lord God appointed a bush and made it come up over Jonah to give shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was very happy about the bush. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the bush so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God prepared a sultry east wind. And the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint and asked that he might die. He said, it is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, is it right for you to be angry about the bush? And he said, yes, angry enough to die. And then the Lord said, you are concerned about the bush for which you did not labor and which you did not grow. It came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should I not be concerned about Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also many animals? This is the gift of God's word. Thanks be to God. One of my favorite writers and uh, poets uh, is this farmer, Wendell Berry from Kentucky, uh, an activist for care, for creation, and a lover of God. And I heard this poem recently that he wrote that just seems so perfect for where we are in our journey and where we are with this story of Jonah this morning. It's called The Peace of Wild Things. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be. I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time I rest in the grace of the world and am free. The ministry of nature, the power of nature. He describes it so well and describes it in a way that I think really touches the longing that all of us have as we journey through these days. I was on a Zoom conversation last week with several other clergy leaders in the area and one of the leaders was talking about the chickens. Uh, they had eggs that hatched into chicks and that was such a huge deal for her family and her children and they videoed it and had it on Facebook and she confessed to us, she said, it's not just the children that are enjoying these chicks. Sometimes when I am overwhelmed by everything that's happening, I just go outside and let these chicks crawl all over me, and then I feel better. When despair for the world grows in her, she goes out and she lets nature really lead her into a peaceful place, and it is the grace of God at work in her life. Nature ministers to us, doesn't it? And it ministers to us the greatness of God, the God of Jonah, who proclaims in that first chapter that he worships the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. 
And then throughout this story, we are reminded again and again that this is exactly who God is. God over all creation, as God sends the wind and the seas and a whale and a bush and a worm and a sultry wind to do God's will, and they all obey. So as we look at this story and how nature is a teacher in it, it's all about God's greatness. And what I see in this story is how nature and the participation of nature in it is revealing the greatness of God's power, the greatness of God's reach, and the greatness of God's compassion. So perhaps we can let nature in the story of Jonah teach us so that we can hear its message in the midst of this pandemic and let it lead us into the peace of wild things, the peace of Jesus Christ. The story that has been remembered many times recently as we've been in Jonah is the story in the Gospels, told in several of the Gospels, about how Jesus is in a boat with his disciples out on the sea and storms would arise that were terrifying and threatening. And a storm did arise and Jesus is asleep and they can't believe he's asleep. And so they wake him up and say, don't you care that we're perishing? And Jesus looks around and he speaks directly to the wind and he speaks directly to the water and says, peace, be still. And immediately there was a dead calm, just like in the Jonah story. And the disciples respond and they say, who is this that even the wind and the seas obey him? Because it's obvious that the wind knows who he is. The seas know who he is. And that is overwhelming to them. Because in that day, and in Jonah's day, as desert people, they saw the seas as a place of threat and chaos and danger, including the seas, sea creatures and the sea monster talked about in Psalms, which is the whale, Leviathan. So it represented for them everything that was dangerous, and nature is not quiet and peaceful all the time, right? It can be violent and threatening and frightening. So in the Jonah story, even the sailors who are used to being out in that kind of situation, as was Jesus' disciples, they are in awe of the sea's fury and tell everyone to pray to their God because they had local gods. They had gods of, with nature that they prayed to. And they said, hey, whatever God works for you, pray. And then they find out that Jonah worships the God who made all things, the God above all gods, the greatest of all powers. So that by the end of the chapter, these sailors, when they see that the fury of the storm is calmed by, their, by throwing Jonah over, and realizing that God is at work in this, they bow down, they fear the Lord, they worship, they make vows. They felt the same way the disciples did in that boat with Jesus. Who is this? Real danger, real fear, out of control, not theirs to fix, but God's. So the power of God is revealed in the powerful things that we cannot control in nature, like where we are in our own journey. And this power reveals God's, well, this greatness of God's power is revealed in nature. Romans 9.20 says this, 
or actually it's Romans 1, verse 20. Ever since the creation of the world, God's eternal power and divine nature, invisible though they are, have been understood and seen through the things God has made. So nature teaches us the greatness of God's power. And in the story, nature also teaches us the greatness of God's reach. Remember at the beginning when Jonah flees, and this phrase comes up several times, from the presence of the Lord. And yet throughout, there is this unfolding in the story of how you can't go beyond God's reach. I want us to remember Psalm 139, verses 7 through 12. Where can I go from your spirit? The psalmist asks. Or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. No matter which direction Jonah went, as far away as he could go in a ship or tried to go, as far down as he went in the belly of the whale, he could never be beyond God's reach. Nature keeps reinforcing at every step. Through the wind and the sea and the whale and the bush, God's there. Jonah is not hidden from God's sight or God's presence or God at work. This last week I got on the phone with Miriam Schultz and just asking how she was and her situation uh, at Brookdale uh, Retirement Community is that they are all staying in their rooms. 200 residents there, they can't come out and eat together or do anything together. They can't go outside and they can't have people in. The only time she goes out is to go down the hall to empty the trash. That's it. Since February, the middle of February, which was just stunning to me in terms of how isolating that is. So I asked her, well, what's helping you get through this? And without hesitating, she said, God. From my childhood, I learned the Psalms and that God is my rock. And so we remembered Psalm 27, how God is a stronghold in times of trouble. God and God's reach are where you are, where you're isolated, where you're frustrated, where you feel like God doesn't care, maybe abandoned and to hear that proclamation out of her. And I've also heard from you in your own isolation, lack of community, lack of the things that you would normally be able to do, whether playing sports or watching sports or any other part of your life that has been halted and cut off, that God sees and is present with you and often that gets reinforced for you through nature. It may be chicks crawling all over you or it may be like my sister going out to her horse. Or it may be just going outside, gardening, hearing birdsong louder than you've heard it before when there was traffic. God's reach. Nature teaches us in this story about God's reach. So this Jonah story and the featuring of nature in this Jonah story, teaching us the greatness of God's power, the greatness of God's reach, and also the greatness of God's compassion.
Because quite frankly, if it was only about God's power and God's reach, that could be terrifying. If it weren't for this third piece that is equally true in this story of Jonah, the greatness of God's compassion, which is shown again and again to Jonah, fleeing away which should have been death for him and yet tossed into the sea which should have been death for him and yet saved by a whale which should have been death for him and then crying out and complaining to God which should have been death for him. But nature over and over again bringing to Jonah the fullness of God's compassionate love. This mercy shown to Jonah in the story is especially visible in the whale, which is the center of the story. And I want to read to you something that Eugene Peterson, Presbyterian pastor who wrote a book on this uh, book of Jonah, he wrote this, which just delighted me. He said, it was once the fashion in Eastern Europe to build pulpits in the shape of an upright whale. In order to take his place as a preacher, the pastor or priest had to enter the interior of the pulpit at the base, climb a ladder through the belly, and then come into the open mouth and deliver the sermon. I've always wanted a pulpit like that, he said. Isn't that just funny? Look at this picture. I uh, found a picture of one of these pulpits. There it is, you know, and there are many. If you go on and Google it, there are a lot of pulpits that are in the shape of this whale. So it's like, why in the world? Why in the world would churches be creating and making pulpits like that? Well, it goes all the way back to what Jesus said in Matthew 12, when some of the scribes and Pharisees said to him, teacher, we want to see a sign from you. And he said to them, an evil and adulterous generation asked for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of the prophet Jonah. For just as Jonah was three days and three nights in the belly of the sea monster, so for three days and three nights the Son of Man will be in the heart of the earth. God's power, God's reach, God's compassion come together in what happened in that whale, in what happened in Jesus' death and resurrection. The power of God, greater than the power of death and all the powers and principalities, the reach of God to where we think we are beyond God's reach, God forsakenness, the compassion of God that comes after us to save not only us but our enemies and all of creation comes together in the whale, comes together in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. God lifting us up and setting things right. Nature communicating that throughout the story of Jonah, communicating that in particular in the whale, and so they made pulpits in the shape of a whale. Great. You know, all through this story, I don't know if you felt this way, if you've been a part of this series, but you almost want to shake Jonah. Just shake him and say, wake up, because he's so slow to see all that nature knows and is revealing, listening to God, trusting God, obeying God and perhaps this is where we can find hope in this story because if someone like Jonah is still God's beloved still God's servant still in the Bible which is amazing maybe there's hope for us too 
when we are so often oblivious ourselves. Last week, my doorbell rang, and I went out, and I was surprised to find Astrid Block and her husband Thad and their three children standing on my stairs with their dog, so Linnea and Eli and Soren, and they had brought a little vase of flowers picked from their yard, and Eli had made this card. It was the sweetest thing, and it was so delightful to see them. It was so delightful to visit with them, and the whole time that we were talking, Eli had this seed pod. I'm not sure where he found it. I'm not sure what kind of seed pod it was, but he was dissecting it. And he was absolutely fascinated by these, this seed pod. And Astrid said that with his second grade science lessons, he has been um, experimenting with planting seeds and uh, having these mealworms that turn into pupae. just really fascinated by transformation. So later I, I texted her and I said, do you think he might be willing to go through Jonah and just notice all the ways that nature is used by God in this story, which he did. Went through and found every verse and how many times that happened. And then I said, do you think that he might be willing to, for extra credit, look up John 12, 24 and maybe memorize it? So I'm not sure if they've gotten that far yet. But John 12, 24 is where Jesus says, using nature, truly I tell you, unless a grain of wheat falls into the ground and dies, it remains a single seed. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus using nature to teach in the way nature teaches in the story of Jonah, the greatness of God's power. Greatest in laying down his own life and dying. The greatness of God's reach going all the way to hell and Sheol because of the greatness of God's compassion. Loving this world so much, nothing can make God stop loving us. Nature as a teacher during this most frightening of times, uncertain of times, leading us into the peace of wild things. And I want to close with this poem again. When despair for the world grows in me, and I wake in the night at the least sound in fear of what my life and my children's lives may be, I go and lie down where the wood drake rests in his beauty on the water and the great heron feeds. I come into the peace of wild things who do not tax their lives with forethought of grief. I come into the presence of still water and I feel above me the day-blind stars waiting with their light. For a time, I rest in the grace of the world and am free. May the grace of our God, creator of heaven and earth, lead us into God's peace, even in the midst of the scariest and most frightening of times. Amen.